0: coastal at the boatyard restaurant located at 1515 southeast 17th street causeway in fort lauderdale here you'll feel part of the yachting tradition of south florida as you experience the boatyard's hooked table seafood eccentric menu with fresh catches listed by name of the fisherman who caught them the boatyard's open kitchen is also known for premium grilled cuts of meat and a menu that's sourced from local ingredients sit inside in modern nautical themed rooms or dockside and watch the boats cruise by as you enjoy lunch, dinner and Sunday brunch. Monday through Friday, the locals know that the Boatyard's happy hour is the best place to gather for bar bites and handcrafted cocktails at great prices. And don't miss out on Ladies Night every Thursday. Call ahead to book your reservation today at 954-525-7400. Clear the airways. The Lunker Dog is on the air. Are you ready? This is The Real Guy Podcast. Okay, everybody, welcome to The Real Guy Podcast. I have Mike from Real Deal Bait and Tackle in downtown Fort Lauderdale off Commercial Boulevard. Mike, thanks for being on The Lunker Dog's Real Guy Show.
1: Appreciate it, Captain Jeff. I appreciate you guys having me on and look forward to uh,
0: some great conversation. Yeah, well, I think having uh, having you on the podcast right now is um, pretty fitting. I mean, I've been watching all your posts on um, social media and it looks like you are doing everything under the sun to create any type of cash flow, keep your doors open and keep your business rolling. Got to commend you for that. I've been watching.
1: Yeah, it hasn't been easy. uh, That's for sure. You know, it's a a tough balance between uh, work, home life, safety, employees, uh, keeping the lights on and uh, keeping all, obviously, all your customers happy too. So it's a tough balance for yeah. sure.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll tell my audience, um, full name of the tackle shop, how to get a hold of you if they do want to, um, um, you know, buy any tackle or need anything. Um, because more people listen to the beginning of the podcast than at the end. So, so let them know how to find you in exactly. Uh,
1: the easiest way right now yeah so uh yeah my name is mike lipsky the owner of real deal bait and tackle as jeff said in fort lauderdale easiest way to get a hold of us is, is through social media uh, we're, we're heavily active on there it's at real deal bait and tackle all spelled out on both instagram and facebook um we are always on always active and always answering messages through there um, we also have our, our recently uh, semi-launched website which is realdealbaitandtackle.com which has about 50 or so percent of the products we have in the store. We're not quite done yet, but uh, doing a, a kind of a online grand opening with that here in the next couple of weeks. And then um, anytime you message us on social media, it comes right to me and uh, I'll always be the one to, to answer you and never leave anybody hanging. Um, and we're here to help in any way we can. We, we uh, obviously service the local community, but do a lot of shipping all over the world as well too. So. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's um, one of the things that, uh when I was in the tackle shop talking to you last and, you know, we were just kind of talking about business, I was kind of floored on how much um, internet commerce and how much shipping you guys do out of there. Um, I guess that's the new way um, for a small tackle shop to get by, correct? It's a a little different
1: because, um, you know, as, as active as I am on, social media, I go out and kind of stir my own business that way, rather than doing it a traditional way, which is waiting for a customer to go on your website, place an order, fulfill the order, etc. I don't really do a lot of web business that way. All mine is one on one interaction with somebody. So, uh, you know, if a customer posts a question in a, in a group on Facebook or a form, the whole truth or whatever, whatever it may be. Um, mm-hmm. I luckily have a base built that, that suggests me, or I'm quick to jump on. And, answer their questions, help them walk through their purchases um, and try to guide them in the right direction. And then, you know, kind of what we're based on, it's in our name, is try to help them save a little bit of money, too. You know, this this business has been brutal to the fishermen as far as uh, not a lot of pressure from somebody willing to sell stuff at a fair price. And um, that's what made me get into it in the beginning. And that's what we're going to always stick to.
0: So, so tell the audience how long you've been doing it.
1: Two years now. So our, uh, crazy times we're in, but our two year anniversary is actually this month. And, um, we would normally have a big anniversary sale slash party, but, uh, with everything going on, we're not going to do that, but two years this month.
0: Wow. Two years already. I know it's crazy. crazy. Yeah. It's funny because, um, you know, I'm rolling down the street, I'm coming down commercial Boulevard and when you first opened up, you had a sign, you know, like right out by the road, like one of those little triangle signs. And, um. I forget what it said. I want to say it said live bait or something like that. And it got my attention. And then I rolled right in there immediately. I was like, live bait, anybody that, uh, was uh, advertised live bait. I'm going to, I'm going to roll in here, but the business, um, has a hard time with live bait, huh? Cause almost all the tackle shops, the smaller tackle shops really have limited live bait or no live bait. It's just no money to be made there. Is that what happens? So it's,
1: so there's, it's really, it's, it's not even as much about the money to be made. There isn't a lot of money to be made. Just the, the math of it, you know, let's just say, for example, you get a shop, I'm not going to name any specific shops. They they get, they go out and they catch a thousand pilchards and they they sell a thousand pilchards in a weekend. It sounds all great, fine and dandy, but you know, an average sell price of around a dollar a piece, that's a a thousand bucks. And even if they sell 4,000 a month, that's $4,000. And obviously there, that's not just straight profit. There's a cost involved with that. So, you know, what are you actually paying for with that? You know, you need to sell obviously a lot more product to be able to pay the bills, have a staff um, than just that. Plus there's obviously the death side, there's the maintenance side. And then the, the most important side, which is the most challenging is the supply side. Um, there's not always bait around the bait suppliers have favorites, uh, favorite shops or favorite areas that they supply. Um, you know, we're here, you're, you're a Fort Lauderdale native born and raised, obviously been here a long time. And for the bait game in Fort Lauderdale, we're, we're kind of the forgotten about area because a lot of the bait comes from either far North or far south. So we're the last to get it. We only get it if there's leftovers. Um, and when it's a really heavy, hot bait time, you know, live bait time, shrimp runs, uh, mullet runs or whatnot, when people are really trying to buy bait in the shops, that's when the Fort Lauderdale guys really have a hard time getting it.
0: Yeah. 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 And I guess it's pretty universal because, um, pretty much, I mean, unless you go down to Miami, like you said, or unless you go up, you know, North of Boca, um, yeah, baits just um, not consistently readily available and I don't care what you're talking about, whether you go from live shrimp to goggle eyes and anything in between, um, bait's always been, um, a huge issue in the nine five four. Yep.
1: Yep. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, I definitely, I just definitely call it, it's it's because of our geographical location from where the bait comes from. We're right in the middle of both the big hot areas and and that kind of puts us at at a disadvantage for that.
0: Yeah, I don't care what anybody tells you, live bait's never easy. You know what I mean? Live bait's just never easy. Whether you're selling it, catching it, dealing with it, maintaining it, trying to keep it alive, all different stuff, live bait is just never easy.
1: We're doing, we're doing water changes right now. I don't know if you hear it behind us, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a 24 hour process. You can never give up. It's uh there are little what, babies. you got to keep them going. So.
0: What made you get in? What made you get into the tackle business?
1: Um, you know, so I was always a, just a recreational fisherman, uh, always an inshore guy, more than an offshore guy to start. Um, right. I do a lot of off, offshore fishing myself now, um, do a lot of tournament fishing and whatnot, but, um, I spent 20 years in the corporate world working for the man. And um, I'd always look for an out to be the man instead of working for the man. And my uh, right. mind opened up a tackle shop down in Miami and uh, called me one day and he said, Mike, you know, um, I said, You making money doing this? He goes, No. He goes, I'm not. He goes, But I'm telling you, I'm, I'm having the most fun I've ever had in my whole life. And I was like, Man, that sounds good. He's like, Mike, you make enough money, you live, you're happy, and you don't have a boss up your ass. And I said, Man, that sounds good. And I just, uh, Just woke up one day and ran with it, you know, so
0: no
1: business, just just blind entered it,
0: you know. So it was more for the passion. It wasn't an X's and O's type. Yeah, um,
1: definitely. Obviously, anybody starts a business, you're going to start thinking of financial side at some point. If not, you're probably more of a hobby than a business. But initially, it was just kind of just a a peace of mind looking for a better quality life from a non-financial standpoint. Versus the financial side,
0: right, right, right. Now, being a small business owner and going through this COVID virus and the crazy times that we're going through—stuff that no one's ever seen before—people, you know, there's no right and wrong answers out there. Um, kind of give a little bit of uh, a little bit of a. Uh, what you've been going through and maybe there's some other small business owners that can relate and maybe you can, um, you know, just tell them, tell them how you feel and how how the process is working so far.
1: Yeah. You know, obviously uh, I've had a lot of sleepless nights here in the last month or so. And, um, that becomes, that comes from making tough decisions both for the business, uh, our staff, our families and whatnot. And, you know, you only get a certain amount of information through the news or the government and whatnot, and um, then you have in business, the same things you have in life. So we have peer pressure as far as our competition. What's your competition doing? How's the business looking? Is there enough business to be had to stay open to continue to pay the employees, your staff? For me, I, I, um, I got into this again, not thinking as much on the, the financial side when I started. And I kind of still have that in my, just rooted deep in me. So the first thing I was worried about obviously was this, the the health and safety of both myself, my staff, and all of the, the people that connect to that, their families, our children, whatnot. Um, so we very early on, we, we closed down uh, our showroom to not letting customers in and moved to a, a curbside model, which was working, but it was kind of a hassle. Customers liked it. They didn't, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't ideal. Um, and then um, as the virus started to spread a little bit more and they, they, they made it seem a little scarier uh, socially and on the news, um, we made the decision to actually close down the business, uh, right? Full, like fully close down, shut the shop down, not even do curbside. Um, but that lasted about two days. Um, again, going through our social media presence, everybody hitting us up to do deliveries and shipments. And we stayed pretty busy doing that um, through it. Um, But then what we started to realize was, you know, we were one of the lucky businesses. And when I say lucky is we were not mandated to shut down. We're we're considered an essential business. Fishing is considered an essential activity in Florida. Um, And I started realizing just by being in the shop every day, even though I wasn't opening, how many customers were calling and looking to lean on us. And at that point, you know, that's when the business guy kicks in and I go, okay, there's some business to be had, but how can we do this in a safe manner? that we're, we're keeping the customers safe. We're keeping our employees safe. We're keeping everybody safe. So I, I put in some new rules um, and we reopened up the showroom this week. Every customer has got to wear a mask. Um, we're very active in keeping the store clean. Um, our employees, every time somebody's in here has to wipe the door down afterwards. Then they go and they wash mm-hmm. their hands. So it's been, but it's been a challenge. You know, my business is off 50% from pre Corona. Um, but I'm lucky to have the 50% that I have versus a restaurant guy or a movie theater guy that has nothing, you know? So I don't, um, I don't complain. There's, there's people hurting a lot more than I'm hurting right now. Right now, my main thing is uh, since this started is I'm looking to keep my, my staff employed and off unemployment. And that's what I've done since day one, even when we were closed, I was still paying my guys. Um, And now that we're back to work, obviously they'll, they'll, they'll come and work and, you know, have that, that mental psyche of, getting out of bed and getting out of the house and getting to work, but in a safe manner as best as we can for
0: sure. So you were able to, uh, you were able to, 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 to create and write your own protocol and what you feel, um, it's going to keep both your staff and your customers safe. Did, um, did you need the government for any of that protocol or did you just kind of use your own brain?
1: Nah, I, I, so nothing I've done has been based on the government. Unfortunately, um, I don't have a lot of, uh, of faith in government. Um, you know, America is built on the people going out and just getting it done themselves. If you wait for government, you're probably not doing something right. So uh, for me, it was, it was going out and just getting it done the best I could. Everything I did was done on my decision making or me talking with my inner circles of how to do it, but definitely not my, my local or, or federal government helping me out there. I, I haven't received any help from them uh, in any form or fashion. Yeah even the loans and everything, everybody I applied for, none of that's come through for me. So we're just grinding on our own. Um, you know, could right, we right. Use, it,
0: that, use it? Sure. That seems, um, that seems to be the majority of people right now, you know, they, they, they are participating in the loan programs and the different ways to get money from the government. But uh, I'd say the vast majority of people, you know, um, it's not working out for, at least not yet. Um, But I think there's a lot of people out there um, that are waiting for the government to tell them on how to conduct business in a safe manner. And they're kidding themselves. Them freaking people downtown in Fort Lauderdale can't tell you or they don't know what's going to keep your employees safe or the people that walk in your place safe or the people that reach out to you safe. And it's a mistake not using your own brain and coming up with your own protocol and doing the best that you can to make sure everybody's safe. We don't need government for that. And it's just killing me that so many small business owners are watching TV and just waiting for their instructions. They don't know nothing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Again, it it goes back to the, the the root of business. If you don't know how to change, adapt, and move faster than the business itself, you're going to have a hard time. Um, so like, you know, for us, we quickly put in home delivery, we called it no contact home delivery service. So we would go up to the customer's house. We'd either put it right in front of their garage, whatever it was they ordered, or they would come up to our truck and just get it out of our bed. We never shook their hands. We never even opened our windows or saw them. And, um, that was huge for getting me through a couple weeks and there was nobody else locally doing it that way. So you got to adapt. You got to be different than the next guy. It's business. Business is cutthroat. It uh, doesn't matter what business you're in, but you gotta be able to adapt on the fly. Um, we were in a great economy and it was everything was going smooth, but when things get tough, that's when you start to see the people really step up that know how to move and shake a little bit.
0: Right. And I see that's that's how you've been communicating. I mean, as you make as you're making your moves and you're adapting and then you're communicating through social media so your clients can follow and keep along.
1: Oh yeah. hundred percent. So, uh, since day one, I took a uh, approach where I have an open social platform. Uh, what that means is, you know, my accounts are open for anybody to see whether it's enemies, customers, friends, competitors, it's all out there. I don't hide anything. Um, you don't see Walmart not advertising their sale on soap or, or toilet paper because target sells the same soap. So for me, it's a, it's a, it's a bold in your face approach. Um, I think from a social element here locally, I changed the way tackle shops kind of approach social media because now they all seem to do what I do, but I won't take any credit for that. Um, but yeah, it's it's, it's an approach. yeah, it's an approach that that can bite you in the ass in certain times and uh, one that pays off in others. You know, it's if there's something cool or, or unique that I do that I created and then I go advertise it within a few days. You know, it's at a couple other shops, the same exact thing. So, so that's the downside of it. But the, the upside of it is I might've sold 20 or $30,000 worth of that before they, they caught on, you know, and I wouldn't have done that without the
0: open platform. Right. Right. But you take the credit because um, when you're an innovator in anything, you never get any credit. So if you don't give yourself the credit, nobody else is going to give it to you.
1: Yeah. But I don't do it for that. I do it just because I don't, from day one, I, I, I made a, a pat to myself that, I don't worry about any of my competitors. I have some really good ones, ones that I respect more than I could ever tell you, because even though we're competitors, I have a lot of friends that are tackle shop owners. They could be right up the street from me or not even so Miami West Palm. I talk to a lot of different owners, but I don't ever think about them. No offense to any of them, how good or great they may be there's no point of the day where I'm like, oh, this guy's shop popped in my head. I think about my shop. And then I think about my customers. And when they walk through my door, giving them the best experience they could have. And when I stopped worrying about the other guys and started worrying about my guys, it really is is when my business kind of changed for the better,
0: you know, so. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I do know a lot of, you know, a lot of the the bait shops, um, you know, I pretty much know everybody. What I have found out, through the grapevine, is that you help a lot of other big shops out there,
1: huh? Yeah, I, I try as much. So my background prior to this is, is I sold frontline goods. So Dell, Sony PlayStation, Hoover Vacuum, Shark Ninja Vacuums, Fitbit, some of the largest brands in the world. I sold those brands into the largest retailers in the world, Walmart, Best Buy, Amazon. Um, so procurement and getting products from manufacturers in a unique way is what I used to do. So I help these guys, a lot of the shops, they'll, they'll call me up and be like, Hey, who do you get this from? Or I, I can't hit their minimums. Let's say, you know, there's a product that you got to buy $4,000 worth of to get it. And this is a small shop in a small area. And they only want to start with $500 worth. I'll sell it to them at my cost and not even make a penny just to help them out. Um, but it, 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 it's all, it's all to help everybody out. Cause it helps me get my men's or I'll put them in touch with the vendor, um, try to help the vendors out too. We're, we're all in this together, you know, and, uh, what people forget is competition is good for business <laughs> without competition. There is no business. Cause then you have, uh, then you have, uh, somebody controlling and the more competition, the better. Can there be too much? And can it be a little saturated at times? Sure. But competition is good. I, I, who doesn't want to step in the ring and fight? You don't want to step in the ring and stare at each other. So I, I want competition
0: whenever I can get it. Right. 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 The, um, that's one of the things that, um, in the guide business, um, I think a lot of guides don't get, there's some that do some that don't, but, um, the more, the better relationship you have with the other guides and the more you can help the other guides, um, the more they can help you. And if you help them and they don't help you, it's like, you know, one hand doesn't wash the other, but one hand does wash the other. And the more you, help the other guides, the more help you receive. I think, um, especially, well, normally this time of year, you know, you get booked just dead solid. And what you want to do is you want to take all those people fishing, but you can't. So what you do is you reach out to the guys that you know, that are working hard. And you know, that in, in, the, in the long run that if you help them, it's going to help you. Oh yeah. And for sure. That, that
1: overflow back and forth is huge. Um, plus yeah. quite frankly, if you guys is, as, um, as guides don't have a, a, a base, right? Hey, is, is the bait on the beach or is it inside? Is, are the fish on the beach or are they inside? Is there a particular spot where, you know, something's loaded up or overfished or too heavy? You guys all share that kind of information with each other. Um, and it helps you all, you know, if you go out and you post a lunker right now, you go, you go throw some 46 and they could see where it is. How many boats are there the next day? you know you may not get the charters every time from it but all those guys you know you post a monster fish or a monster bite 10 guys get a charter the next weekend or that same weekend because you did that um right so some people don't realize you know is that it's we're all in it together are there guys we all don't like because they're just excuse my french douches sure but that's just the nature of the human nature so but
0: there's in every game right
1: doesn't matter what the game is, my man. So
0: <laughs> let me let me change let me change direction on you a little bit. Since we're going through this COVID virus and such uh, scrutiny on China, um, do you think that the anglers out there, the tackle shop owners out there, um, are going to start putting pressure on the manufacturers, the tackle manufacturers that make so much stuff over in China?
1: So um I'm I'm kind of torn on that subject just cuz I live both sides of it. You know, I've, I've traveled the orient myself and um you know it, it's taken us 40 years to build the orient the way it is now where they supply so much product to us that it would take us 40 years to undo it and right. doing it right now would be something that we wouldn't be able to absorb from a cost perspective. I think in certain areas yes um y- you walk in my store I promote U.S. made reels before I do Chinese or, or Japanese made reels. Um, right. That's because it's obviously helping our local economy and I want to keep that going. But certain things right. we just don't have the ability yet to make at a reasonable price. So if you take like a, you know, a pack of hooks, let's say that we're used to paying $2.29 for retail and then we got to start making them here. And that, that same thing becomes three fifty, and you do that across every product in the store, that's where it gets right you start pricing the customer out. So I, I think from that standpoint, we'll allow for me, I allow the the higher ups to to kind of give that pressure. Um, because quite frankly, everybody, no matter who you are, as best as we know, you have something that's made in China, no matter what. And um, it'd be really hard to get it all back here very quickly. Um, right. So that that, that right. one's a tough one for me. I'm like kind of middle of the road on that i i enjoy affordable things and sometimes when it's made in the u.s it's not as affordable and uh, unfortunately we got to break that stigma in the u.s that you know we it's too expensive the labor i'm sorry man there, there's plenty of people that work for a fair fair wage that could build these no, things. I, we just forgot how
0: yeah yeah no i think you're 100 percent right on that one of the, the the things that just you know like these are things that are going through fishermen's minds that I think, you know, they thought about in the past, but because of the, you know, because of the, the bad PR with China and it's just making people think a lot differently. And like, I did a post on Facebook the other day and um, all I wrote was, if I wanted to buy 100% American rods and reels, where would I turn to? And man, did I get just a huge response. I'm going to say we had like, 250 comments in 24 hours and everybody you know had their opinions and you know a lot of people were like oh buy pen that's American buy this that's American and then when I when I really did some research and started you know figuring out what was American made very very little (laughs) like almost nothing um there isn't a single
1: printer made in the U.S. right now
0: There'sn't a single
1: web. A what? single spinner that I know of that's made in the US, except for maybe the Torx. And the, um, but everything
0: else has been moved overseas. What about accurate? Do you know anything about them?
1: Oh, sorry, accurates, uh, the accurate spinners have I forgot about those.
0: But yeah, the accurate that's spinners, right that's why I
1: asked. But the accurate and... spinner the same thing. It goes back to my point. I mean the accurate spinners start at six hundred and ninety nine bucks. So that you know, Dude, your, your average Joe can't go out and buy that.
0: Six hundred bucks? Give or take. Have, right you in the ever, have you ever used one or had one? Yes. Um,
1: hold on one second. Yeah, I've used them. They're very good reels. They're 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 um they're comparable, aesthetics wise to a Van Stall. Um, you know it's that all kind of aluminum, all metal construction, uh, machine milled. Um, mm-hmm. very very good reels. Um, so you have them. They're made in the U.S. I don't know if Z Bass moved their production yet. I don't know where they're built anymore. I know Van Stahl moved theirs overseas. Um, yeah, I think they went to China. Yeah, they're made in China. Um so yeah, just about everything at this point from the spinner side for sure. So
0: Right, right. I'm gonna buy a I'm gonna buy an accurate. Now do you think accurate um doesn't have the ability to make an inexpensive reel or just won't go there because the competition doesn't make sense? I, I think
1: I think the a company like Accurate doesn't have the ability to make – th- can they make a less inexpensive reel? Yes. Um, but when I say less inexpensive, they can maybe make a 349 or, like, a 299 But, like, they can't compete in that BG slash pen battle range, which is your 99 $109 reels, or specifically really can never compete with, like, your Shakespeare's or your ugly stick reels. Um, you know, that are in your $49. We can't make those here. We just don't have the ability to machine all those products and, and pull that off, you know? So that, that's, the, right. that's the real problem. So they cater to the upper echelon. And while that's great, I, I, I that's definitely a market for it. Um, that's not, you know, I sell a lot more hundred dollar reels than I do
0: $600 reels. Right. See, I just, it just drives me freaking crazy that, um, Companies like Accurate are forced to stick to that high-end product because, one, they don't have slave labor like they have over in countries like China. They don't have, um, you know, well, the regulation here, the way payroll works here, the way taxes work here, the way everything, the way business works here is you just can't compete with those other countries. And it's sad to me that, Our leaders have let this country get that way. And I don't understand the philosophy. Okay, we're not allowed to have slave labor, but companies are allowed to send billions of dollars to places like China that basically have slave labor, basically don't have the regulations, don't care about the environment and the pollution issues that goes along with being an industrial country. But we're allowed to send them all of our cash yeah. I don't, and then you're penalized for
1: manufacturing in the U S also though. So, you know, if I go, if I go make a product right now, I got to pay a 10% excise tax on it. If I, if I'm right. here in the U S so it's, it's like, wait a second, hold on. So that, the, the taxes are just, you get taxed on everything. You get taxed on your business, yeah. you get taxed on your income. You get taxed when you buy something, sales tax, you know, you get taxed when you're at the gas pump, everywhere you go, you're getting tax, 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 tax. And
0: right. uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah it's 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 a, it's a it's a it's like a never ending chasing your tail type situation and I'm hoping that some good comes out of all this um crap that we're going through with the virus that maybe this is going to open up not only the people in the government's eyes because I think they really already know they just kind of don't give a shit but maybe the consumer people like me are actually going to pay attention to how companies are being run, how their products are being built, who makes money on them. Let me ask you a question. If you sold one of those accurate reels, right, for 600 bucks, call it, or you had a pen reel that was a halfway decent reel for 200 bucks, where's your margin? Where where can you make more money? Forget about what they can afford. Just from them a tackle
1: from a tackle shop standpoint? Yeah, I, I'm comparable margin for sure um, in them. So, it, so 20 years ago, when I started selling into retail, there was a very, it's still a commonly used term, except nobody does it anymore. There was a term in retail called Keystone. And um, Keystone means you buy something for five, you sell it for 10. That's just kind of what you always used to do. You used to double your money. Um, that's what every retailer looked for. They wanted keystone margin. Now you can kiss that keystone long, long, long gone. And, um, you would think that with these products being cheaper in the Orient, you'd make more money, right? More margin because you're saving money doing it in the Orient, right? No. What the manufacturers are doing now is in order to hit that cheap price point, they want you, the retailer or the reseller to make less money. So if a reel is a hundred dollars and you go back to the 20 year mentality I'm buying that reel for fifty. Now that hundred-dollar reel may cost me seventy-nine or eighty-one dollars, and they want you to make a twenty-dollar bill on it. And by the time you pay your credit card tax or fees and this and that, and then you know the customer always wants a little deal or some free line, which we give out free mono, whatever reel. You don't make a lot. Where when you sell the big reel, the expensive one, with that margin being smaller, it's more acceptable because it's it's a larger margin dollar, right? So if I make right. 20% on a hundred bucks I'm making $20 But I make 20% on 600, I'm making a buck 20. So it, right. it's, it's pick your poison. You know, I, I'm the type I'd rather sell six, six different people, a hundred dollar reel just to keep the action going. Um,
0: right. Well, uh, right. Well, and then they buy the other stuff. Correct. Where,
1: That's where you hope yeah. to do it. So like I mentioned before, I, I, I used to work for Sony PlayStation, um, a PlayStation cost 300 bucks, $299 in the stores. Walmart buys that PlayStation for $295. Right. By the time they move it to their stores, it's gone to their distribution center, it hits their trucks, and they move it to the stores, they're already at a negative. But why do they right. do that? People say, well, when you go in, you're not buying just the PlayStation. You need the extra controller. You need the accessory. You need the game. That's where you make your money. Right,
0: right, right. Now, see, the way I, in the way I see it, is I see them just squeezing the piss out of the small guy like yourself, because I know for a fact that places like Walmart and Bass Pro Shops, Cabela's, whatever, um, they're buying stuff at a discount. Oh yeah. So, look,
1: if I it, it, I call it, and I don't know how do we how how are we with talking bad words
0: real I call it, guy.
1: who's got the biggest dick to swing so if my dick's swinging small and there's a swinging massive and i write a purchase order for a hundred pieces or something and they come in with a purchase order for a million pieces they're obviously going to buy it better than than me as the little guy now what we right. hope for is companies to protect the little guy um and what that is is what a lot of people hate is called map pricing, or you know, manufactured approved or minimum advertised pricing. Uh, two different terms. That's where the manufacturer sets the retail, and you can't change that retail. So, like that PlayStation's two hundred ninety nine bucks. Walmart's not allowed to sell it for two fifty, if even if they wanted to lose the money. And me, the little right. guy, I'm not allowed to sell it for two fifty either. So we're on the same playing field that way. Um, at least we're able to protect the retail. Where it doesn't work out is is if you go look at Amazon or Walmart with a company that doesn't have that, that's mm-hmm. where it really screws us, the little guy. Um, and I don't want to throw any of my vendors under the bus, in particular. But there's some products that I buy for 170 dollars is my cost, and Amazon's retailing it for 165. Right. And I'm like, wait a second, how are they retailing this cheaper than I could buy it for? And, right. and obviously, we're in a very savvy. Um, time now where everybody has the access to the internet right at their fingertips. So a customer comes in my store and says, Hey, how much is this real? And I say, it's 249 bucks. They go, well, it's one sixty five on Amazon. And I say, Hey man, I order it from Amazon. I can't even match that price. I'm not, I can't afford to lose money. They can afford to lose money because it all gets blended in with the big bucks they make
0: elsewhere. Right. How do you, how do you see that panning out in the long run? Um, so
1: where it hurts is if you are a business that just sells products, right? If you want to buy a product and resell a product and you're going to try to compete against an Amazon or a Walmart, you're, you're screwed is the best I could say for you. If you bring something to the table, right? You bring local knowledge, you, you rig and do your own things. You create some of your own products or, or things of that such nature to complement that big product that you sell that big name brand that you sell, then you got a chance. That's, that's where we get lucky here in South Florida. You know, you go to Minnesota or you go to New York or you go to California, none of those places fish like us. You got to have that local knowledge. We, we have a lot of products that our local fishermen have pioneered and created. Um, and we, we offer those products and Bass Pro can't. Um, yeah. they, don't, they don't buy from the little guy making a product in his garage hoping to sell two or three tackle shops or, you know, fighting every day, walking the docks to find the bait that, that, that we only use here in Pompano, let's say, you know, so that's your advantage. You need to find in business, your advantage over the big guy. Cause there's always one there because you have two things. You either have products they don't have, or you have people and your people are sometimes 10 times, tenfold worth more than the products you have in your store. You know, I, I heard one time there was this great line, you know, a lot of business owners, they think, man, I got to hire the right people because if I don't have the right people, I'm going to fail. And what the business owner forgets about, it's not really the hiring the right people. It's the firing of the right people. If you got a sour seed, you're screwed. You know, you're done. You got to make sure to get rid of those bad ones. You could always hire more and fire more, but you got to have the right people. And if you got the right people, Big box can't touch you as a little guy, but there's a lot of people that don't want to do the work or put in the time to to go toe to toe with them. Like, you know, you, you, or any, any local fisherman put me up against the Walmart fishing center, you know, at at the local Walmart, unless you're going bass fishing, man, I, I, I'll take me over them any day, you know? So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think you're you're doing a good job. I also think that um, I think there's a lot of dudes that are like me, that just can't stomach going to fast pro shop to save a few dollars. Um, like my philosophy is, and kind of like how I know you is even if like, you're not in my, my regular loop. So I can't frequent your store, you know, most of the time, the stores that I can frequent um, are actually down in Miami. A lot of times, cause it's on my way to work. Yeah. Beta 4, My
1: buddy, Chris, we're all buddies down there. So
0: right. Right. But the the point is, is like the only time I will spend any money at Bass Pro Shop is if somebody buys me a gift card that uh, Bass Pro Shop will sell. But I don't roll in there with my cash, and it's not because the stuff in there is no good. I want to talk to somebody that is in this industry, that is in the game that I'm playing, and when you talk to somebody at bass pro shop i'm not saying there's not anybody there that can speak to you about the game you're in but a lot of times there's nobody there like one of the things that i know that uh you've done um is one get good guys that you hire in the shop and also i noticed that you're not afraid to train people and make them a real deal guy like what you're doing with mateo how old is mateo now uh, soon to be 16 I think 15 alright now you know I did a podcast with him and a lot of it had to do about him going to work for you and I learned some things but what the one thing that I learned was that you're willing to invest in a young person that really doesn't have the skills yet but because he's into the game he really loves fishing you're willing to work with him and teach them and I think that's very valuable in our industry. And I think that's something that Bass Pro Shop and these Walmarts of the world, Dick's Sporting Goods, whoever they are, they can't do that. And they're not willing to.
1: Yeah. So I so I have a different approach to that. So originally when I started this, I um, I said, man, I got to go out and hire all these fishermen. I got I to gotta find the right fishermen. And I got to find the right guy for my business. And I said, holy crap, it's like putting a kid in a candy store, man. They're either going to steal from me or they're never going to show up to work because all they want to do is fish, right? I'm like, man, I'm having a hard time in the beginning. Like, What am I doing here? And I had this guy come in and he goes, Mike, he goes, let me teach you something. He goes, go to your local Bass Pro. Go to your local Dicks. Find somebody, just sit back and watch, that is great with customers. Don't ask him if he knows a word about fishing. Find somebody that's good about customers that Dicks or Bass Pro forgot about. You know, They're just another number there, you know? He goes, and you hire them and you train them to be the guy that you want. They already got the customer side down. Now, now teach them your way of approaching the fishing business. And I sat back one night and I was like, damn, that, that's, that's a good way of thinking. And right at that time, I thought about it. I had this customer of mine, his name was John and he was a manager at Dick's and he would shop in the store, come in and buy a crowd of rod. He's a real ugly guy. I'm just joking. He's looking at me right now. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> um, I said, man, he's that's that guy. he's, he's speaks well he presents well he shows up to work and uh, I wrote him that night and I was like hey man you're looking for a second job I don't have full-time work but some part-time he's like yeah that that sounds good and John's been with me now now he's full-time with me and part-time at Dick's and he's been with me over a year at least now Um, and then another employee who's also right behind me Tristan Tristan was a Bass Pro employee and um, him and I had become friendly on social media somehow um, as you know, sometimes you kind of friend request somebody that you don't know in person as much, but you have like interest. And I said, man, this kid works at Bass Pro and he's promoting them like it's his business. He, he's really into this. You can see the passion. So I made the right. same play after him and got him to come over from there. And then just every day, it's a it's a it's a training process to train them to do it the way we want to do it here versus where the next guy does it. Or, you know, again, I don't care what the other guy does. This is how we do it in my store. And, um, it's all customer centric first, but I'd rather invest the time and the money into training somebody to do it our way than somebody that knows how to do
0: it their way. I love it. I love it. Well, listen, Mike, um, that was a great podcast. I'm really glad that, uh, you spent some time and, and got on the, on the real guy podcast with us. Um, I want to thank you for being in the real guy network for all these years. I really appreciate it. And, um, listen, really, you know, wish you the best in the future. I think you're doing the right thing over there at real deal and, um, run that dog. And thanks so much for being on the real guy podcast.
1: No, I appreciate it. Likewise. Thank you so much, Jeff. Anytime you need anything, you know, we're here for you, buddy.
0: All right, pal. Keep up the good work. Keep your chin up and, uh, run that dog.
1: Got it. Later.